Welcome to This Week in Sparkling Water. I'm your host, Joachim Axelm. Today, let's start with one can of water, passion fruit. First one here, Queen City Hemp CBD Seltzer. How much CBD? Five milligrams. Ooh, you know, this episode is dedicated to David Phillips because last episode there was something about passion fruit in the mix, and I said I wasn't a big fan of passion fruit. The talking rain passion fruit with caffeine, not very good. Kind of bitter and plain. And then Dave was like, you know, an actual passion fruit can actually be quite sublime, quite succulent. I got to say right away, this smells not bitter, not plain. It's like a very, um, it's like a very flower garden kind of, um, like a, almost like a sickly sweet, um, very, it's a nice smell. This, right off the bat, I think this is a very real passion fruit smell. Let's try it. Ooh, okay, 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 okay. This really is making me feel better already because that's delicious. And I just needed something delicious in my life. Ooh, Queen City Hemp. Okay, this is what happened when I drank this. First, it's very watery. It's the, like a wave of just clean, crisp water. And then... Mm. And then it's this very passion fruity, real um, floral taste. And then there's this Queen City hemp signature thing where it tastes like weed. <laughs> like 100% tastes like weed. It's, um, it's just the aftertaste is weed. And it sort of accumulates which, with each sip. The weed oil hangs around a little bit more. And it starts uh, accumulating in your mouth so that um, the second sip tastes more like weed and the third even more. And then when you're halfway through the can, it's very, very, um, you can taste that there's some weed oil in there. And that's a very interesting combo, actually. Because there's something, it's almost like, Passion fruit is in the same category as weed, so they kind of go together. Where it's like a leafy, flowery, smelly, sweet bud. Very interesting. Um, I'm going to give that one... You know, that's a very cool can of sparkling water. And I'm going to give that one an 8 out of 10. And I immediately feel like the rest of these aren't going to be that good. Um, maybe I peaked right there. What have I done this week? Nothing. Just been listening to the house settling. I should be happy. You know, something happened, which is that um, I um, got some feedback. And I mean, I got some positive feedback on the novel. So I finished the novel two, three months ago, put together these documents that you send to a literary agent to get a, an agent. One part is the query letter, one part is the synopsis, 
you know, um, sample pages, everything. And um, I started sending it out. Or first I sent it to someone to so that um, they would sharpen up the query letter. I paid a guy 200 bucks to sharpen up my query letter, right? And then I sent that out and I sent it out to... Like, I mean, I read what I read one guy's blog where he was very transparent. He'd written like six books and he wrote like he put the numbers right there in the post where he was like, yeah, for my first first book, I sent out 600 query requests or something. And, you know, then there was a number of people who asked for to read a big portion of the novel. It's called a request for partial. It's when they read your first 10 pages and say, all right, send me the first 50 pages. I want to keep reading. And then there's something which is like request for full manuscript or whatever. I don't even know what that part's called. And then next thing is like request for representation or whatever, where they an agent offers to represent you and you can start negotiating that. So he gave all the numbers and it was like hundreds of query requests on each novel. Uh, is that right? Does that make sense? Once you have a novel, once you have an agent, doesn't that person stay on for your next novel? I'm not sure. Uh, regardless, for his first novel, it was something like 500. So I'm thinking like, I'm going to query like 400 agents or something before I uh, slow down. And I've queried maybe 35 or 40. You know, I send them a, a letter. He here's what my query letter is. Let me Let me read it to you just... Just because I want to humiliate myself. So this is to a lady named Kyla. Dear Miss Kyla. And then her last name, but I'm not going give to you, give you her last name. I'm seeking representation for my adult contemporary novel, The Potato Eaters of Shanghai, which is complete at 83,000 words. It's written as a standalone with potential for a sequel. This is how you're supposed to start it. That's what they tell me. And then the next paragraph is the pitch, where you, in one very long, complicated sentence, explain the entire pitch of the novel. In the surreal world of near-future China, Joachim Erikson must fight off disintegration and discover a sense of self in the narrow space between the old Scandinavian folk legends of his mother and the ever-present leadership of President Xi Jinping, a protective substitute for his alcoholic father. It's like a very long sentence, but there you go. And then the next sentence is you start explaining the plot, but you don't give, give away the ending. That's what you're supposed to do. So this is the next paragraph. Hoping to reconnect with his Swedish identity, Joachim must perform a magical... No, Joachim performs a magical ritual of burying a potato with human-like features in the flower bed outside of his Shanghai office. But Joachim gains more than he bargained for and is soon faced with a strange-looking job applicant and must ask himself if perhaps the buried potato has sprouted legs, climbed out of the soil, and put together a surprisingly strong resume. <laughs> it's such a ridiculous... It's such a ridiculous thing to... Oh, what a ridiculous novel. And then there's a parenthesis, because, you know, who doesn't love parenthesis, right? Parenthesis, and this is also in italics. So this is about the potato that he buried that then climbed out of the soil and now she's applying for a job at his company. She holds a PhD in computer science from Hanjiang Normal University and wrote her dissertation on machine learning and financial markets. Impressive. End parenthesis. And then for the next paragraph, you're supposed to sort of place it in relationship to other books and 
explain what you're trying to do. Take a step back and explain what you're trying to do. So here's the next paragraph. The dissenting voice of Viet Tam Win meets the deadpan satire of Joseph Heller in this fine blend of immigrant fiction and magical realism. The novel examines the hidden relationship between self and politics by breaking away from convention, juxtaposing the old-fashioned socialism of Sweden with the hypermodernity of Shanghai, and forcing the reader to ask, colon, what if the Chinese Communist Party isn't all bad? You know, I don't even know what to say about that. And then the last paragraph, you're supposed to give a bio. And it's like, you're not supposed to include pretty much anything at all. It's supposed to just be, like, you're supposed to include if you've been published. Um, and if you haven't been published, you're just supposed to, you're not supposed to say, I haven't been published. Because just leave it out. Just omission. So just keep it really brief. Just say where you're from. Just say, you know, where you're at. And maybe education, you know? And I really don't know what to include there, but this is what I wrote. I was born and raised in Sweden and moved to China when I was 20 years old, spending eight years between Beijing and Shanghai, parenthesis, intermittently returning to Sweden to earn a BA in Chinese language and a BA in economics, end parenthesis, and then finally settling in the Pacific Northwest in 2015. This is my first novel. Please find the first... Yeah. Thank you for your consideration. You know, there you go. And then they all ask you to paste the first 10 pages of the novel in the email, in the body of the email, because literary agents don't have virus scanners. They all have computers that just explode if they have to open an attachment. <laughs> it's like, it's very 80s. I also have the feeling that literary agents very, very recently gave up on being faxed the manuscript. Because now in the age of the, of the virus, they all ask for it digitally. Only email is accepted. But it, it, it very much seems like that's new in the age of literary agents. But so <clears throat> the point here is that I'm very, very old. And I've had certain writing jobs where I was like a copywriter or I would write this kind of thing or write that kind of thing, you know, write for a magazine. Uh, but I've never done anything I've been I've tr been trying to do fiction forever but I've never given that fiction to anyone because I had this attitude that I want to learn myself how to make it perfect before I show it to anyone. It's um Matt from a couple of episodes ago. I remember back in Shanghai he had this expression where he would always say and this is a I mean this is not the most PC way of saying it but he had this thing where he said I am like a Native American. I like wander off and, and work on something alone and perfect it before I bring it back to the tribe and show the other people in the tribe. And now that's obviously like, what is he talking about? Native American. Is that a Native American thing? If that's a Native American thing, which tribe are we talking about here? You know, you can be, your first reaction can be, uh, that's not very factually correct, but I think the actual sentiment of it is does really describe a sort of way of looking at things. And I don't think it's a very good way of looking at things, first of all. I think it's a I think it's much better to just be at peace with yourself and to show people as you are growing and to ask for help. It's a very, very like toxic masculinity attitude of not wanting to ask for help and not wanting to be vulnerable and all that stuff. <clears throat> 
And unfortunately, that's the attitude I've had about fiction writing, where I never somehow baked into that also was this idea that like, the real thing if you want to be a fiction writer is you have to write novels and writing short stories is like a cop out. That's like shitty. It's shameful. I had this attitude that all other types of writing is shameful. Like I remember always people being like, well, if you want to write, you know, be a journalist. And then I, I, 18 year old me with dyed black hair would be like, no, you know, newspapers are for wrapping fish in. It's like, what an unhealthy thing to say. Ugh, ridiculous. But that's what I said. And um, so I never submitted, um, you know, I never showed fiction to anyone outside of my own bubble. Like I showed it to my friends. But if a friend says that they like your fiction writing, they're your friend, you know, like maybe they mean it and maybe they don't. But there is just a difference between, you know, some girl who's kind of falling in love with you and you show her your writing and she falls in love with you even more because it's so interesting and showing it to someone who's an editor. <laughs> Not the same thing. So what I'm saying is that this week for the first time ever, Someone outside of my bubble took a look at my fiction writing and gave me any kind of positive feedback. That has never happened before, ever. And now it happened. And this girl, Kyla, that I wrote this query letter to, she responded with the following email. Hello, Joachim. Thank you for sending along your sample pages. I must say I was intrigued and a bit confused at first that you and your main character seem to share a name. Yeah. However, I found your sample pages engaging, and at this time I'd like to request a partial manuscript. Please send along your first 50 pages as well as a complete summary, including the ending, as attachments to your email. I look forward to hearing from you. So, you know, um, according to that guy with the blog with all the numbers where he actually told everyone how many queries he had to send out, he had to send out a lot of partials before he anyone asked for a full manuscript and then many of those before anyone asked for... Um, oh, you know what I think it was, actually? I think it was that his first novel wasn't... No agent ever wanted to represent him. He sent out like 600 queries, 50 partials, 10 manuscripts. No one ever wanted to represent him. And then the second novel was like fewer. It was like 400 queries... Lower number, lower number, and no one... And then with his third novel, he finally got an agent. And then, you know, with the next novel after that, he now has an agent, so he gets published. But but he just kept going. And I will tell you right now that I don't think I have it in me to... Like, if... After this, it's all said and done. If this doesn't go well, I don't have it in me to, like, spend five years writing another novel and then five years writing another novel and to be 50 years old and be a failing novelist. But, you know, honestly, I believe in this novel, and I think it's good. And Kyla thinks it's good, too, okay? <laughs> so funny. So I sent her um, 50 pages, and then right after I sent it, I f felt really, really bad because I realized that what I sent her is a PDF, and the typeset is, it's Times New Roman, but the font size is 14. It's like a large font <laughs> because... I <laughs> I like to 
bring down the page size. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I'm dyslexic. I don't know. I'm probably not dyslexic, but I like that. But I don't think it's industry standard, and I don't think I should have sent her that. At least I should have sent her a Word document. So then for like an hour afterwards, I was like, should I send her one more email and apologize for the formatting and send her a Word document too? But I just didn't because I felt like as much as agents and everyone, they keep saying that the agents, they love to just dismiss you right away if something like that is wrong, like the formatting. I feel like it is silly. If you actually think that the writing is intriguing, then is it that hard to email back and be like, hey, do you mind sending me a Word document instead? Because this one isn't, I'm not vibing with this version. Anyway. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm going to keep sending out um, agent queries. Let's go to the next water. So, I don't know that I have ever reviewed one of these on the podcast. It's Boneyard Elixir. It's also a CBD drink. I think it's Boneyard, the same people who make an IPA. Um, delicious IPA. Back when I was a drinking man, we used to serve that at Blue Star. Boneyard IPA, oh, delicious. I think there's more than one. I think they're all good. Um, these people, they sent me some samples, and then they did this thing where they sent me like three different flavors and like 12 cans of each flavor. And you know, honestly, what happens when they send me 12 cans of each flavor is I feel like, ooh, I might drink a bunch of these before I review them on the pod because, like, I have so many I could just be drinking these whenever. So I pop a bunch of them in the fridge, and I've been a fan of these for a while now. And it's actually been a while since I had one because I drank a bunch of these when I got them. All I remember is that I like them. But it is a little bit different when I drink them recreationally as a uh, compared to when I drink them professionally on the pod. Because recreationally, it's very lackadaisical, you know? So this is passion fruit orange. God damn, that smells good. Oh. Yeah, it smells, it's very orange forward, though. It smells a little bit like, um, like a fizzy, beautiful, perfectly fresh-squeezed, um, not-from-concentrate orange juice. You know, like just... Ah, oh, that also reminds me of Blue Star. Like back at Blue Star, we would juice our own orange juice because it's just so much better. And we had this enormous juicer in the middle of the restaurant. It looked like this monster from the 80s. <coughs> it was crazy, actually, because it was a machine that we didn't own. We'd been leasing this machine for decades. And sometimes it would break or a part would break or disappear or something. And a repairman would show up. And it would be this ancient old man. And he would like... Talk about how very, very few of these machines there are these days. <laughs> like, oh, such a strange job. But he was a juice repairman. And um, we would juice. It would be the server's job to juice it, and you would rotate. We had these side work sheets where, depending on your section, you had different side work. And um, so once, it was like a once a week thing. So once every five weeks, it was my job to just stand there and just feed the machine oranges into the top. And then what comes out the bottom, get out of here, man. It's so good. I remember Ma'am, this little Thai lady, cutest lady I've ever seen in my life. Like this 50-year-old little Thai lady with a bob haircut. <coughs> she would come up with a little cup and just whisper at you when you were making juice and be like, hey, could I have a little bit? Because she knew about the good things in life. Ma'am knew about the good things in life. 
And that wasn't her real name, man. But she didn't teach people her real name. But honestly, I mean, my name over there was Joey, so there you go. Uh, this smells like that. Let's try it. Ooh, that is incredibly good. Mmm. Oh boy, that's fresh. And it's a very, very good fresh orange flavor. Because all week I've been drinking LaCroix orange. I bought a 12-pack of LaCroix orange because it was cheap. And it's nice and everything, but it's not a very real orange. It's a very watery flavor, and it's not very real. And this is a much stronger orange flavor, and it's much realer. And then there's this little tinge of... Honestly, the passion fruit here isn't the best part. The passion fruit here is this sort of bitterness that... It's a little bit like the passion fruit I was talking about in the last episode, where, yeah, it's kind of flat and bitter. But this tastes like when you take fresh squeezed orange juice and pour it in some water that you soda streamed. Just like super fresh, light. It's just a very nice way to make a sparkling water, very drinkable. You know what? That's even better than the last one, 8.5. Okay, what else is going on? Um, let's have another sip. Mm, that's delicious. All right, let's stay on the fiction writing topic. I'm going to read you the first page of my novel because um, this had to happen at some point, I guess. All right, are you ready for this? Um, page one. This is how the novel starts, okay? This is, <laughs> this is how the novel starts. You always treated me better. Because I was a foreigner and because I was white. There was always a bigger bowl of rice for me and I always got my own bathroom. It was never obvious why I should get the better end of the stick, but I always did. That's how it went. All Chinese people treat foreigners better. Perhaps this was a shallow courtesy or perhaps this was out of deep respect. Most foreigners don't worry about the why. They simply enjoy the preferential treatment, not viewing it as a moral tonic and not viewing themselves as the criminals of history. And then, when their time is up, they leave. Things never worked like that for me, although my parents tried very hard to teach me how to be a foreigner. A wise man, my daddy always told me, almost never opens his eyes. There was, for me, a subtle difference in the darkness. You gave me a larger bowl of rice, and then, and when I got to the bottom, picking off the last grains, all I felt was shame. <coughs> Interesting, it's like a, the theme, okay, let, let me just, let me not editorialize and comment on my own writing right now. Let, let's just finish reading this. As time passed, it occurred to me that this feeling was the result of understanding something obscure, something less than obvious. You treat me better because you feel sorry for me. You look at this gloomy face and you see a lost little foreigner wandering around China, a lanky giant who will never be part of anything larger than himself. He will never find a geography to call home and he will never enjoy a sense of belonging. Naturally, you cut him some slack. When I look at myself through your eyes, my dear comrade, I understand that this white skin is a talent and perhaps the only talent I will ever possess. There is a modicum of solace in that understanding of the world. I say something rude and you try to chalk it up to cultural, cultural differences. I steal an apple and you try to engage with me, hoping to help me and put me back on track. You laugh at my boring jokes and then, once more, you get me out of trouble. Perhaps this can be stated even more plain, plainly. I was made to feel special, so it took me a long time to realize that I wasn't. <coughs> God, my throat really hurts. I, I hope it's not COVID. Um, yeah, that's the first page. Anyway, 
I'm just trying to read that page into a microphone so that it all feels a little bit smaller and so that I can move on and, and do something else with my life, okay? That's all that is. Let's drink the next water. So this is Chlorbrunn. This might be our last Chlorbrunn. Chlorbrunn, they also sent me about like 16 cans of each flavor. Man, they sent me a lot of water. <clears throat> and that pomelo grapefruit one that they sent me might be my favorite sparkling water of all time. Pomelo. Jesus, I like that one. Blueberry passion fruit. Chlorbrunn. Very, very artificial bad flavor. I mean, smell. What? Every, <laughs> every episode I always smell it and then I describe the flavor. And I correct myself and say, no, 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 I don't mean flavor. I mean smell. Like, oh, makes me so mad every time. Yeah. Yeah, that's not so good. It's, uh, this one isn't the good one. Clawbone Pomelo is amazing, and this one is not the good one. This tastes like blue jelly candy. It tastes like uh, QQ Tang is this... Um, cheapest it's like 10 cents per bag in china like in the countryside in china they have very very few types of candy and for me you know i'm a sugar lizard and i get get stuck out there on the countryside sometimes and i walk down to the corner store the fucking bodega and they have things that say chocolate on it and it's like i mean you think hershey's is bad and hershey's is bad and hershey's does taste like vomit but hershey's is at least five percent chocolate what you get in the countryside store over there is, it's less than 1% for sure. It might not be any chocolate at all, but it's brown. And then the other candy they have is QQ tongue. And it's, I mean, it's the letter Q, it's letter Q, and then it's the word sugar. And it is these little bags of squishy yellow gelatin candy. And there's a blue one. There's a lychee one that's actually very good. And there's a blue one. And it might be blueberry flavor. They might call it blueberry flavor. It doesn't taste like blueberry, but it tastes exactly like Clawbrun blueberry passion fruit. Ugh. Oh, it's like not even like they didn't even have the common decency of mixing a couple of chemicals to give it like a little bit of a pizzazz or complexity. This is literally just one chemical. I could drink it. It's not an offensive chemical. It's just an offensive idea. It's more like the disappointment because their other ones are so good. Because it's not that, it's not that the blue, like if I'm out there and someone gets me a bag of QQ tongue and it's the blue one, oh my God, dude, I would eat 10 of those bags. It's fine. Chewy little sweet gelatin, clear, mostly clear blue candies. I'll eat them. It's fine. I don't know. I'm going to give it a six. Man, Donald Trump just texted me. This whole election cycle, I've been subscribed to the Donald Trump texting list. Um, and I didn't realize until I saw someone on, in, on social media somewhere say, if I get one more text from Joe Biden, I'm not voting for him. And when I when I read that, I realized that being on the texting list is a good way to hate someone because being on the texting list, ironically, is a really good sort of like self-fulfilling thing where I, I fucking hate Donald Trump. 
because I'm on his texting list, because he's constantly asking me for donations. And honestly, the Donald Trump texting list is so fucking surreal. And the voice they use and the level of aggression and the level of dishonest manipulation they use is something that after the election, if Donald Trump loses and this text list goes away, I might miss it because it's that weird. Let me describe to you what I'm talking about. The, the voice always talks about it as um, that I'm that it's it's in the vein of a blinking banner that says you're our one millionth visitor to this website. That's the type. That's the type of manipulation used in every single text um, where they have this thing where you've put your name in somewhere. So the texts, <coughs> man, my throat really hurts. So it's always like this. President Trump. Who gets the first end of the month 970% match? President Trump is asking that question. And then this is the answers coming from Laura, Eric, and Don, his kids. Laura says, I pick Joachim. Eric says, Joachim earned it. Don goes, agreed. And then it says, you won! Exclamation mark. All caps. You won. I'm the winner, guys. I won. Donald Trump picked me. And then it says claim colon and then there's a link. So it's like I won a prize and now I get to claim the prize and the prize is that I get to donate. And then they match my donation 975%. Which, you know, I mean, I don't know. Is that true that they do that? Maybe. I mean, Donald Trump is rich and not a lot of people donate. So there you go. Oh, it's all about, it's all with my name in there. Are you there, Joachim? Seven days left. And it's like, don't share this link, says Donald Trump. It's like, you really don't want me to share this link where we donate money to you? Anyway, so luckily I'm not on the Joe Biden list because if I was on that one, maybe I'd hate Joe Biden. But I don't. I think Joe Biden is going to be a very old man and he's going to get some really decent people in some really good places. And then hopefully he's just going to sit back and not not do anything bad. Man, I got some good water open right here. So let's do the control group. We always do three waters. Let's do a fourth one. LaCroix, passion fruit. So it's passion fruit, just passion fruit, not mixed with anything, and it's LaCroix. So this is just the absolute most middle-of-the-road fucking median voter theory LaCroix can right here let's smell it oh god yep doesn't smell like anything okay sugary sugary not bitter at all not bitter at all oh a little bit bitter there a little bit bitter very flat sugary sugary flat yep that's how it goes. LaCroix. Very watery. Very much not my favorite LaCroix. That's a three. Yeah, let's call it an episode there. Thank you for listening, guys. That was our review of Queen City Hemp, Passion Fruit CBD Seltzer, Boneyard Elixir, Sparkling CBD Beverage, Passion Orange, and Chlorbrun, blueberry passion fruit. And LaCroix, passion fruit, fuck. <laughs>
<laughs> I said it first as if there was just three, and then I remember that there was a fourth one. Just bear with me, okay? Just bear with me. Okay. That brings us to our closing segment. The sparkling water, the sparkling mind. The thing is that today, the mind does not sparkle which is not true because the mind is always sparkling. And if we don't know that the mind is sparkling, then we just have to realize that the mind was always sparkling. We were born with sparkling minds and then we unlearned how to sparkle the mind. And the mind sparkle, whether we know it or not. The mind sparkle. And now we just have to realize it. We have to realize that the mind always sparkled. And everything is already good enough. I don't know. I don't know. I don't feel it. I don't feel the mind sparkling. Maybe if I have a sip of water. I really seem to like this passion orange. Ah, Boneyard Elixir. That's a winner. And you know what? Maybe the mind is sparkling. Yeah, that one is sparkling. That's sparkling water right there. You know, maybe at the end of all of this, you can give me a glass of water and I'll be able to tell you if it's still or sparkling. And maybe that's what I've learned. Maybe that's what we all learn. You can look at the world and you can tell if it's still or sparkling. Because right now I don't know. I just don't know. <laughs>